to the 12 Minute Dog Podcast, where our main topic discussion will only last 12 minutes. But with our nutritional nuggets and our training tips, you should expect a podcast that will only last about 20 to 30 minutes, and it will be chock full of awesome information on all things dogs. So this week, we're going to talk about Thanksgiving. The one thing you'll notice right off the bat, my name's Mike, I'm with Kiss Dog Training, and I'm missing somebody this week, and that's Emery Kittle of Nature Select Dog Food. He and his organization have moved locations in the last month, and he's been a really busy guy. He's almost done, and he's promised me he'll be here for next time. But for this round, it's going to be solo. So, what are we going to talk about with Thanksgiving? Well, what are we thankful for? Well, I think we're thankful for the four-legged best friends that we have. But we're going to kind of delve a little bit deeper on this episode into how frustration affects you and your dog and your training techniques so we can learn to become even more thankful for that relationship so how does frustration enter into dog training well um, after 13 years i would say it enters in all the time i think where people screw up is they wait till they're frustrated to actually want to train a dog and if you wait till you're frustrated your training style is going to completely change. You're going to focus more on punishment, less on rewards, and the dog and you are just not going to have a lot of fun. So let's just look at some of the bullet points that I've put together for this round, okay? Uh, number one, I want you to think about what instructional value does the word no have? When you say no to a dog, all it tells the dog is you want them to quit behaving, which is not natural, and you don't even bother to tell them what you want. It doesn't tell the dog what gets the reward or what you want as a handler, okay? Um, let's look at the example of jumping up. If your dog jumps up on you and you say, no, bad dog, get off, well, unless you've taught the command off, no doesn't tell the dog anything. However, if we switch our mindset and when the dog jumps up, we say sit, we've now asked the dog to do a behavior that hopefully has already been taught and now we can reward it. So trust me, when Fido figures out sitting gets more rewards than jumping up, which one do you think Fido's going to do? All I'm really pointing out here is instead of waiting for the dog to screw up and yelling at them let's let them screw up but redirect them to what we want so that we can reward it and it becomes a more frequent behavior in fact punishment the next step does even less to teach what we want and only focuses on what we don't want and what will happen if you get it wrong owner being mad what we really want the dog to do is okay that didn't work let me be confident enough to try something else and us as handlers we just got to be smart enough quick enough and have good enough timing to reward the right decision pretty much the instant it happens so the dog can have that aha moment of oh wait every single time my butt's on the ground i get a cookie so if you think about it, using punishment or saying no or focusing on the mistake really doesn't teach a dog anything. It really just leads to a confused dog. Okay. Frustrations, I think, also lead to false expectations from the handler. I hear people tell me all the time, I'm going to use recall as the example for this little discussion, but they'll say, I want my dog to have 100% recall in all environments. 
and I have to giggle every single time I hear that because it's almost like some people feel like they have a computer with a program that they can do a couple of keystrokes and have 100% compliance. Um, you can do an awesome job as a handler. You can reward, not get frustrated, utilize punishment in the you know appropriate manner, and still have a dog who is nowhere near a hundred percent reliable. Let me let me give you an example. Let's say we've got a dog who is really, really, really reliable at recall, but all of a sudden. He makes it out the front door of the house, off leash, sees a squirrel. His best friend dog is out in the front yard playing with their kids, who are exactly four and five. And at the exact same time, it just happens to be the 4th of July and there's fireworks going off. There's a pretty good opportunity for that dog to fail miserably at recall because of the environment and the scenario that you're putting together. Um, a lot of people will ask me if I want a dog who is bulletproof, perfect. How do I get it? And I say, well, you have to teach the dog to be bulletproof or perfect in every environment. And my argument would be that I don't know that many people are going to have the time the, um, what's the word I'm looking for here, the patience to put their dog in every single situation. Um, this kind of leads us to the idea of the living room dog. Um, I do have lots of clients who have dogs that are flat brilliant within the four walls of their own house, but become blithering idiots when they walk out the front door. And it's got nothing to do with the handler. It's got nothing to do with the intelligence of the dog or the training techniques you're using. You've just never trained in that particular environment. I find that a lot of times the biggest difference between dogs and human is the idea of generalization where humans generalize information pretty easily. Think about us in COVID, you know, we learned to work from home. We did virtual meetings. Heck I'm even doing some of my dog training um, sessions um, via zoom or some other video platform. Dogs on the other hand, don't generalize from one location very well at all. Um, you can get a puppy and you can teach them to play fetch in the house with a green tennis ball. And then all of a sudden spring shows up and you take the exact same green tennis ball out into the backyard and you throw it and the dog looks at you like you're an idiot. Well, the reason is they've never learned how to play fetch with that green tennis ball outside. You taught me inside. So now we have to kind of restart the process and teach out there. But you know, the, the fact is, don't fall prey to thinking that a dog is going to be 100% compliant on anything. They're, 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 I almost said human beings. They're not human beings. They're, they're animals. They're canines. They are living, breathing entities that have emotions and thoughts and desires and, impulse control problems and frustration tolerance problems. And yes, we're going to work on those things all the time, but just don't be silly enough to expect your dog to be 100% compliant on anything. I think a good number to shoot for is 80 to 85% compliance um, in regular. Um, and I say regular, what I mean is environments you've already practiced in. Okay, so one of the things I think we can take away from this entire conversation of frustration um, is that it leads to bad training decisions. Um, and what I mean by this is 
a lot of times, okay, so let's back up a little bit. Um, I have a degree in psychology from the University of Kansas, Rock Chalk. Um, a lot of what I did was learning theory. And when you think about it, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the word punishment. In dog training, I guess the easiest definition of punishment is anything that decreases the frequency of a behavior. So theoretically, I could withhold a reward and consider that a punishment. Um, I could ignore the dog and consider that a punishment. I could redirect the dog to a different behavior and I could reward that. And if it decreases the frequency of the bad behavior, that could even be considered, I guess, in a weird way, a punishment. So I have no problem with the word punishment. What I do have a problem with is when punishment is used out of frustration. When we are frustrated and then go the punishment route, we tend to become more physical. We tend to become more grumpy. We tend to, our timing suffers. Um, we really need to use punishments um, when we are calm, when we're teaching, and when we're doing other things. Um, okay, let me use an example. Um, you will read all over the internet that don't ever use a crate as a punishment device or the dog will hate the crate. Um, I do personally think that it's a little bit of an overbaked idea. We all got um, sent to our room as kids and we all survived. Uh, that's where our toys were. That's where the good things happen. So if we do our crate training first correctly and positively associate being in the crate with wonderful things and make it a normal experience, um, I'll use jumping up again as an example. If a dog jumps up on a house guest and I go, I don't think so, young man, go to your room. And I put the dog in the crate and I give them a cookie because they did what I asked. They went to the crate. I shut the door. I'm only going to use a duration of 10 seconds. So I'm going to leave the dog in the crate for 10 seconds. I'm going to go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Then I'm going to let the dog out. And I'm going to go, okay, try again. The dog jumps up. I'm going to repeat the process. I'm going to put the dog right back in the crate and I'm going to say, okay, calm down. Okay, come on out. Try it again. In a sense, I'm using the crate more as a cause and effect box and a management tool. Um, anybody who had, who has had small kids, um, you have a, um, a safe seat in a lot of elementary schools where if you're if you're acting out they're going to say you have to go sit over at the desk over there most people would look at that scenario and say well the desk is the punishment well really the punishment is losing access to the class and most teachers don't even put a time restriction on being over at the safe seat it's like go over there and calm down when you feel like you can come back come back to your seat and let's try this again it gives the dogs or kids in that example the opportunity to learn impulse control, frustration tolerance on their own without us having to micromanage or put a thumb on them. Okay, so I think it's really important that when we are using punishments, when we are um, even using rewards, that we come from a teaching angle. Um, if we have allowed ourselves to get frustrated, hey, just stop, walk away, take a deep breath. You're not going to teach the dog anything, and neither one of you are going to enjoy the process. Um, it also kind of gets us out of this entire gotcha um, mentality of dog training of waiting for them to make a mistake and then correcting it rather than the golden rule of dog training, which is teach the dog what you want and reward the snot out of it. Um, you know, in, in closing, um, you know, frustration never leads to anything good. And usually the biggest suggestion I can make to my clients is when you're frustrated, just back off. 
wait and then come back to the situation. Um, I would like to point out, we do have a Facebook page for the 12 minute dog podcast. We're always looking for topics. Like I said, next time Emery's going to be here, uh, here in a little bit, I will talk about stress, which is kind of related to dog training. Um, and how it can be good or bad to training um, as my training tip. Guys, we'll see next month, okay? I appreciate it. It's Mike with Kiss Dog Training, and you have a great day. Let's take a minute to meet our sponsors. There's a reason why the only dry food we carry is Nature Select. It's because we feel it is the healthiest, most nutritious pet food for your pet. After 27 years, it's never been recalled and has only gotten better with time. We love it, and we know your pet will, too. Free home delivery from your favorite local pet food supply. If you love the topics you've been listening to, remember, Mike has written tons of books on dog training, and all are available on Amazon.com. Just search the name Mike Deeth, D-E-A-T-H-E. They are available in audio, ebook, and print. Like a rewarding career in the pet industry? Maybe dog grooming is for you. The Kansas City Grooming Academy is the only certified grooming academy in Kansas, and our amazing instructors will have you ready for your career in just 10 short weeks. We also have financing available, so give us a call or reach out to us at kcgroomingacademy.com. And now back to the podcast. Hi guys, this is Mike with Kiss Dog Training. I'm back, and here's your trainer's tip for this episode. Is stress a good thing or a bad thing? Um, This is going to be a really short conversation. I just don't want you to look at the word stress as obviously a bad thing. Um, Some of us are procrastinators. I was the king in college of um, cramming. I would wait to the last minute. I would cram. I would take a test. Um, I waited to the last minute to write my papers. And that, that stress of I have to turn this in for at least me was something that helped me perform better. Um, If I tried to plan too much or I was too organized, I tended to um, never get anything started where the the stress of knowing that I had to turn it in on Monday was what I needed to kind of get the creative juices flowing. Um, So working with a dog, um, stress can be a good thing, Um, If, again, like we talked earlier in this podcast about frustration, as long as we're coming from a teaching point of view, I think you're okay. It's going to really depend on the dog and the dog's personality, though. There are some people that just don't handle stress well at all. There are other dogs that can work right through stress. So I I guess the other thing I would point out is this is another one of those um, scenarios where I'll point out that every dog is different. Every handler is different. And even every trainer is different. And it's really important that you and the dog jive, you and the trainer jive, everybody's on the same page, and you're not doing anything ethically that makes you feel bad in the morning about what you just did to your dog. Um, So when we are using stress, um, I might very well, if a dog's not doing something, I might just turn around and walk away and take the food with me and take the treat bag with me and give the dog a chance to just kind of reset and reboot and choose to come back to me. Even that can be a little bit of a stressor. Um, What we don't want, okay, so let's flip it to that because I think that's the more important conversation to have, is the idea of counter conditioning and flooding. So when you're counter conditioning a dog, let's say we got a dog who doesn't like men. 
you have to have high frequency training, short duration training, and under threshold training. That means I'm going to train every day. None of my sessions are going to be longer than about 15 minutes. And if the dog starts reacting, growling, barking, lunging, um, I have pushed the dog over threshold. Now, on the flip side, a lot of people think counterconditioning is actually what we call flooding, which is pushing a dog past threshold and allowing them to kind of freak out. Um, if you're allowing the dog to freak out, in essence, you're just letting the dog practice the behavior you're trying to get rid of. And humans are terrible about, hey, this worked. Let's see how far we can push it. Let's see how far we can push it. So um, I think we can we, we, we can push dogs, but we can never send them over threshold. Um, this is kind of a complex conversation. Um, if you have a dog who is showing anxiety, uh, reactivity, aggression, um, any of these weird topics, I really don't recommend you trying to tackle them alone. But it's conversations like this that we need to have with our clients to make sure you understand the process um, and how it works. But what I would tell you is just remember that short duration, don't overwork the dog or they're going to go over threshold. Got to be consistent, got to practice every day and know what threshold you want to work. Okay. If it is, I just don't want you to growl at men. Well, that might mean I have to work at a hundred feet away from men and then go to 95 and then go to 87. And then it might have a little bit of a backslide and I have to go back to 92 and it may be a very long process, but we keep the dog under threshold and we teach the dog that the world is safe and accommodating. But I would love to continue this conversation with anybody that has any questions. You can get hold of me at um, kissdogtraining.com and it does stand for keep it simple, stupid. Uh, just shoot us an email or call the office and Angela, my office manager will be more than happy to help you. We'll talk to you later guys. 